Chapter 39 Sin's Foul Bondage In our consideration of this particular passage, we have so far been dealing with what we might call the direct and explicit teaching of our Lord concerning this matter of treasures upon earth and treasures in heaven. But we cannot leave it at that, because there is surely something else here. In these verses, 19 through 24, there is indirect teaching, there is implicit teaching, and we fail to pay attention to such teaching in Scripture always at our peril. Our Lord is concerned with the practical aspect of this matter, but obviously there is something else involved as well. In warning us about this very practical matter, he also deals incidentally with most important doctrine, although he does not set out primarily to do that. We can put it like this. Why is it that these instructions are necessary? Why is it that the Bible is full of this kind of warning? It is to be found everywhere. This is only one example, but there are many others which we could take. What is it that makes it so necessary for our Lord and the apostles afterwards to warn us as Christian people about these things? Surely there is only one answer to that question. All this is simply due to sin and its effects. There is a sense in which one is astounded when one reads a passage such as this. One tends to say, I am a Christian. I have a new view of things, and I do not need this. And yet we see it is necessary, and we all need it. In various ways, all of us are not only being attacked by this, but are being conquered by it. There is only one thing that explains that, and that is sin, the terrible power and effect of sin upon mankind. So that here we can see that as our Lord expounds his teaching, gives his commandment, and states his reasons, he is incidentally telling us a great deal about sin and what it does to man. First, the first thing we must note is that sin is obviously something that has an entirely disturbing and upsetting effect upon the normal balance in man and the normal functioning of his qualities. There are three parts to man. He was made by God, body, mind, and spirit, or if you prefer it, body, soul, and spirit. And the highest is the spirit. Next to that comes the soul, and next to that, the body. Not that there is anything wrong with the body, but that is the relative order. The effect of sin is that the normal functions of man have been entirely disturbed. There is no doubt that, in one sense, the highest gift that God has given to man is the gift of mind. According to the scripture, man was made in the image of God, and a part of the image of God in man is undoubtedly the mind, the ability to think and to reason, especially in the highest sense and in a spiritual sense. Man, therefore, was obviously meant to function in the following way. His mind, being the highest faculty and propensity that he possesses, should always come first. Things are perceived with the mind and analyzed by it. Then come the affections, the heart, the feeling, the sensibility given to man by God. Then, thirdly, there is that other quality, that other faculty called the will, the power by which we put into operation the things we have understood, the things we have desired as the result of apprehension. That is the way in which God made man, and that is how man was meant to function. He was meant to understand and to be governed and controlled by his understanding. He was to love that which he thus understood to be best and truest for himself and for all concerned. And then he was to put all that into practice and into operation. 
But the effect of the fall and of sin upon man has been to upset that order and balance. You notice how our Lord puts it here. He lays down his instruction. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The heart comes first. Then he goes on to the mind and says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. The heart is first, the mind second, and the will third. For no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. We have already considered the way in which these earthly treasures and possessions tend to master and control the entire personality, heart and mind and will. Then we were not concerned about the order, but this time we are very concerned about the order in which our Lord puts these things. For what he says here is nothing but the simple truth about us all by nature. Man, as the result of sin and the fall, is no longer governed by his mind and understanding. He is governed by his desires, his affections, and his lusts. That is the teaching of Scripture. Thus we see that man is in the terrible predicament of being no longer governed by his highest faculty, but by something else, something subsidiary. There are many scriptures which prove this. Take that great statement in John 3.19. This is the condemnation. This is the final condemnation of mankind, that light has come, or has come, into the world. What, then, is the matter with man? Does he not believe it? Does he not accept it? No, this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Man, in other words, instead of looking at life with his mind, looks at it with his desires and affections. He prefers darkness. He is controlled by his heart instead of by his head. We must be quite clear about this. This is not to say that man, as God made him, should not have a heart and should not feel things. The important thing is that no man should be governed by his emotions and desires. That is the effect of sin. A man should be governed by his mind, his understanding. This surely is the final answer to all those people who are not Christian and who say they are not Christian because they think and because they reason. The simple truth about them is that they are governed not by their minds, but by their hearts and by their prejudices. Their elaborate attempts to justify themselves intellectually is nothing but an attempt to camouflage the godlessness of their hearts. They are trying to justify the kind of life they are living by putting up an intellectual position. But the real trouble is that they are governed by desires and by lusts. They do not approach the truth with the mind. They approach it with all these prejudices which come from the heart. As the psalmist puts it so perfectly, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. That is what the unbeliever always says, and that is why he says it and then he tries to find an intellectual reason to justify what his heart wants to say. Our Lord here reminds us of this plainly. It is the heart that covets these worldly things, 
and the heart in sinful man is so powerful that it governs his mind, his understanding, and his intellect. Man likes to think of himself as a gigantic intellect. Scientists are often fond of claiming this, but I can assure you that scientists are sometimes the most prejudiced men you can meet. Some of them are prepared to manipulate facts in order to buttress their theory. They often start their books by saying that a certain idea is but a theory, but a few pages later, you find them referring to it as a fact. That is the heart in operation and not the mind. This is one of the greatest tragedies about sin and its effects. In the first instance, it upsets the order and the balance, and the greatest and supreme gift becomes subservient to the lesser. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Secondly, the second thing that sin does is to blind man in certain vital respects. Of course, that follows by a kind of inevitable logic. If the mind is not always in control, there is of necessity going to be a kind of blinding. The Apostle Paul's way of putting it is this. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. That is precisely what sin does, and it does it through the heart. We can see how our Lord illustrates that principle in this short paragraph at which we are looking. Sin blinds the mind of man to things which are perfectly obvious. And so, though they are so obvious, man in sin does not see them. Take this question of worldly treasures. It is a simple fact that none of them continue. There is no need to argue about that. It is the obvious truth. We looked at some of these treasures in our last chapter. People pride themselves on personal appearance. It is bound to deteriorate. They are going to be desperately ill one day and die, and decay will set in. It is bound to happen, yet people pride themselves on this and may even sacrifice their belief in God for it. The same thing applies to money. We cannot take it with us when we die, and we are always liable to lose it. All these things pass away. They are all bound to go. If a man sits down and really faces that, he must admit that it is the simple truth. Yet all people who are not Christian tend to live on the opposite assumption. They are jealous and envious of one another. They will sacrifice everything for these things, these things that are bound to come to an end and which they are bound to leave behind them. The real situation is so obvious, and yet they do not seem to see the obvious. If a man just sits down and says, Well now, here I am today living in this world, but what is going to happen to me? What is my future? He is bound to say in reply, I may go on living like this for a number of years, or I may not. I do not know. I may not be alive tomorrow. I may not be alive a week today. I do not know. But I know for certain that this is bound to come to an end. There will be an end to my life in this world. I have to die. And when I die, I have to leave all these things. I shall have to leave my house, my loved ones, my possessions. I have to leave it all behind and go on without them. We know that that is the simple fact. But how often do we face that fact? How often do we live in the realization of it? Is our whole life controlled by the consciousness of that obvious truth? The answer is that it is not, and the reason for this is sin, 
which blinds the mind of man to that which is absolutely obvious. Change and decay in all around I see, we often sing. Yet though I do see it, I do not seem to perceive it. In the same way, sin blinds us to the relative value of things. Take time and eternity. We are creatures here in time, and we are going on to eternity. There is no comparison between the relative importance of time and eternity. Time is limited, and eternity is endless and absolute. Yet do we live as realizing these relative values? Is it not again a simple fact that we give ourselves to things that belong to time and entirely ignore the things that are eternal? Is it not true that all the things about which we bother so much belong to a very short span of time? And though we know that there are other things that are eternal and endless, we scarcely stop to think about them at all. That is the effect of sin. Relative values are not appreciated. Or take darkness and light. There is no real comparison between them. There is nothing more wonderful than light. It is one of the most amazing things in the universe. God himself is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We know the kind of deeds that belong to darkness, the things that happen in the dark and under the cover of night. But there will be no darkness and no night in heaven. It is all light and glory there. But how slow we are to appreciate the relative value of light and darkness. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Then think again of the value of man and of God. The whole of life apart from Christianity is evaluated in terms of man. He is the one to be considered, his being and his welfare. All who are not Christian are living for man, for themselves, and others like themselves. God, in the meantime, is being forgotten and ignored. He is told to wait until we have a little more time for him. This is surely characteristic of the life of all mankind as affected by sin. We do not hesitate to turn our backs upon God and say, in effect, when I am ill or on my deathbed, I will turn to God, but now I am living for myself. Our worldly life is being put before God. This is blindness. The mind is blind to relative values. Think of men coveting earthly wealth and earthly riches, position and status, and putting all that before becoming heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, before becoming inheritors of the whole world. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But men do not consider that and do not covet it. So intent are they upon the immediate. Consider yet another respect in which sin and evil blind the mind of man. They blind him to the impossibility of mixing opposites. It is all here. Man is always trying to mix things which cannot be mixed. Still worse is the fact that he persuades himself that he can do it successfully. He is quite sure this compromise is possible, and yet our Lord tells us it is not. If you want it stated philosophically, you have but to turn to Aristotle and his axiom to the effect that there is no mean between two opposites. Opposites are opposites, and you will never get a mean between them. Here it is. There is no possible mixing of light and darkness. It is no longer light if you do, and it is no longer darkness. Neither can you mix God and mammon, for no man can serve two masters. 
It is one or the other, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. These are absolutes, and if we were capable of thinking clearly, we should recognize them as such. They are both totalitarian. Both demand our entire allegiance, and therefore they cannot be mixed. But man, in sin and in his supposed cleverness, sees two things at one and the same time, and he glories in this double vision. Our Lord, however, tells us here that it cannot be done. We cannot love two opposite things at the same time. Love is exclusive, it is demanding, and always insists upon the absolute. It is either one or the other. It must be light or darkness. The eye is single or not single. It is either God or mammon. Is not the failure to recognize this the whole trouble with the world today? I fear it is no longer the trouble with the world only. Is it not the trouble with the church also? The church of God for many a day has been trying to mix certain incompatibles. If it is a spiritual society, then we cannot mix the world with it in any shape or form. It does not matter what the form is. The world does not mean gross sin only. It means things which are quite legitimate in and of themselves. It is this constant compromising in the life of the church that has been her ruination ever since the days of Constantine. Once you have lost the division between the world and the church, the church ceases to be truly Christian. But, thank God, there have been revivals. There have been people who have seen this truth and who have refused to compromise. It is the only hope for the church. We have been trying to sustain her by worldly methods, and it is not surprising that she is as she is. And she will continue to be like this as long as we continue to attempt the impossible. It is only when we come to realize that we are God's people and a spiritual people and that we live in the realm of the Spirit that we shall be blessed and shall begin to see a revival. We can introduce our worldly methods, and we may appear to be having success, but the church will not improve. No. The church is spiritual, and her spiritual life must be nurtured and sustained in a purely spiritual manner. Third, the next effect of sin upon man is to make him a slave of things that were meant to serve him. This is one of the terrible, tragic things about it. According to our Lord here, these earthly, worldly things tend to become our God. We serve them. We love them. Our heart is captivated by them. We are at their service. What are they? They are the very things that God in His kindness has given man in order that they might be of service to Him and in order that he may enjoy life while he is in this world. All these things that can be so dangerous to our souls because of sin were given to us by God, and we were meant to enjoy them, food and clothing, family and friends, and all such things. These are all but a manifestation of the kindness and the graciousness of God. He has given them to us that we might have a happy and enjoyable life in this world. But because of sin, we have become their slaves. We are mastered by appetites. God has given us our appetites. Hunger, thirst, and sex are God-created. But the moment a man is dominated by them, or is mastered by them, he is a slave to them. What a tragedy! 
he bows down and worships at the shrine of things that were meant to be at his service. Things that were meant to minister to him have become his master. What a terrible, awful thing sin is. Fourth, the last point, however, is the most serious and the most solemn of all. The final effect of sin upon mankind is that it entirely ruins man. That is the teaching of the Bible from beginning to end. This thing which came into life through the serpent in the Garden of Eden is intent upon nothing but our final ruination. The devil hates God with the whole of his being, and he has but one object and one ambition. It is to ruin and spoil all that God has made and in which he delights. In other words, he is intent especially upon the ruination of man and of the world. How does sin ruin man? Here is the answer as we find it in these verses. It ruins man in the sense that, having spent his lifetime in laying up certain things here on earth, he finds himself at the end with nothing. After laying up for himself treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, he finds himself face to face with the most powerful adversary of all, which is death itself. Then this poor, wretched man who has been living for these things suddenly finds himself with absolutely nothing, stripped with nothing at all but his naked soul. It is utter ruination. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? That is what sin eventually leads to, and there are many scriptural passages to prove this. Look at Luke 16, 19-31. There it is perfectly. You need not go beyond that. This is a matter of understanding and common sense to which we need to apply our minds. Think of all the things for which you tend to be living at this moment, the things that really count, the things that really matter in your life. Then ask yourself this simple question. How many of these things will I be able to take with me when I die? That is the test. How many of them will still be with you in the river of death and beyond the river? Sin is final ruination which leaves a man with nothing at the end. Still worse, in a sense, is this, that at the end, he also finds that he has been entirely and utterly wrong all his life. Our Lord puts it like this, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single... Thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness! That is a picture which means this. As we have seen, the light of the body is, in a sense, the mind, the understanding, this extraordinary faculty that God gave to man. If, as the result of sin and evil, and because of the control of the heart and of lust and passion and desire, this supreme instrument has become perverted, how great is that darkness? Is anything worse than that, or more terrible than that? We can look at it like this. Man today, as we have been saying and as we know full well, not only believes he is being led by his mind, he rejects God because of his mind and understanding. He laughs at religion. He laughs at those who denounce this worldly view of life. He lives for the present. 
It is the one thing that counts. And he believes that to be a rational point of view to take. He proves it to his own satisfaction and is convinced that he is led by his mind. He does not realize that the light that is in him has become dark. He does not see that his faculties have become upset because of sin. He does not see that various forces are controlling and drugging his mind, which is therefore no longer operating freely and rationally. But at the end he will come to see it. At the end he will come to himself like the prodigal son of old. Suddenly he will see that the things in which he trusted were dark and have misled him and that he has lost everything. The light in him is darkness, and how great is that darkness. There is nothing worse than that. To discover at the end that the very thing to which you pinned your faith is the one thing that has let you down. All this can be seen in that picture of Devis and Lazarus in Luke 16. That man, I am sure, justified himself day by day and said, It is all right. But after he died and found himself there in hell, he suddenly saw it. He saw that he had been a fool all his life. He had done it all deliberately, and it had led him to this. He saw what a fool he had been, and he pleaded with Abraham to send somebody to his brethren who were doing the same thing. He discovered that the light that was in him was darkness, and that it was great darkness. That is one of the most subtle deeds of Satan. He persuades a man that by denying God he is being rational. But as we have seen already several times, what is really happening is that he makes him a creature of lust and desire whose mind is blinded and whose eye is no longer single. The greatest faculty of all has become perverted. If you are not a Christian, do not trust your mind. It is the most dangerous thing you can do. But when you become a Christian, your mind is put back in the center and you become a rational being. There is no more pathetic illusion than for a man to think of the Christian faith as sob stuff, the dope of the people, something purely emotional and irrational. The true view of it is stated perfectly by the Apostle Paul in Romans 6.17. You have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. The doctrine was preached to them, and when they came to see it, they liked it, believed it, and put it into practice. They received the truth of God, first of all, with the mind. Truth must be received with the mind, and the Holy Spirit enables the mind to become clear. That is conversion. That is what happens as the result of regeneration. The mind is delivered from this bias of evil and darkness. It sees the truth and loves and desires it above everything else. That is it. There is nothing more tragic than for a man to find at the end of his life that he has been entirely wrong all the time. A final word. This wretched man who is ruined by sin not only finds he has nothing, he not only discovers that he has entirely fooled himself and been misled by his supposed light, he finds himself also to be outside the life of God and under his wrath. He cannot serve God and mammon. So if a man has served mammon in this life until he dies, he will find himself beyond death, outside God. He has not served God, so there is only one thing to say about him, according to Scripture, and that is that the wrath of God abideth on him. John 3, 36. All he has lived for has gone. 
There in eternity, he is a naked soul having to face God, the God who is love and who is gracious and kind, the Father, the one who counts the very hairs of the Christian's head, is a stranger to him. He is without God, and not only without God in the world, but without God in eternity, without hope, facing an eternity of wretchedness and remorse, of misery and regrets. Sin is a total loss. If you are not living to serve Him, then that will be your fate. You will have nothing at all, and you will dwell in that negativity, that hopeless negativity, through all eternity. God forbid that that should be the fate of anyone within reach of these words. If you want to avoid it, go to God and confess to Him that you have been serving earthly things and laying up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Confess it to Him. Give yourself to Him. Place yourself unreservedly in His hands, and above all, Ask Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit, who alone can enlighten the mind, clear the understanding, make the eye single, and enable us to see the truth, the truth about sin and the only way of salvation by the blood of Christ, the Holy Spirit who can show us how to be delivered from the perversion and the pollution of sin, and to become new men and women, created after the fashion and pattern of the Son of God Himself, loving the things of God, and serving Him, and Him alone.